Hi, this is Mike. Thank you for being a part of what God's doing at the Heights Fellowship. We hope you enjoy this message. We know it's not the same thing as being here in person, but we pray that God would move as you listen and as God applies this to your heart. Let me ask you a question this morning as we continue our series. Are you a philosopher? Now, some of you guys, when I said that, immediately kind of recoiled from that and went, nah, nah, I'm not into that heady stuff. That's too much thinking, too confusing, too, you know, mind-bending, all that kind of stuff. Well, I get that. But, but you know, Schaefer famously said, you know, there's a second meaning that we must not miss if we're going to understand the problem of preaching the gospel. And that is this, that the term philosophy also means a man's worldview. And so the real question this morning is not so much, are you a philosopher, but what is your philosophy? And even beyond that, the question would come out, what is it that forms? What drives your philosophy? What's your source for how you believe what you believe? There are a lot of things that it could be. I mean, for a lot of us, it's the way we're raised. For some of us, it's where we're raised. I mean, so much of that uh, has to do with with everything from our political philosophy to our theology. You know, if somebody is raised in a certain part of the United States or a certain part of the world, they tend to view and see things differently. What forms your philosophy? What forms your worldview? The profound belief that we have here at the Heights Fellowship is this, that we can know God is. And we can know God is because he has spoken, and what God has spoken shapes our worldview. That's our source. That's kind of our public statement on the issue. With equal passion, though, we also believe that God continues to speak to his people today. Jesus says, I speak to my sheep. They hear my voice, and they follow me. That wasn't just a first century promise. That's a promise for now. And throughout this series on hearing God, we've said that God speaks four main ways. He speaks through the Bible. He speaks through prayer. He speaks through circumstances. And he speaks through the church. He reveals himself, his will, and his ways in doing that. And as God does that, if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this, God most often addresses us in our thought process. Now, I want to walk you through some communication that some people had with the Lord, and I want you to kind of see this because it's going to direct where we go for the rest of the message today. The night after the resurrection, so resurrection day early in the morning on that Sunday, that night, the disciples are still confused. Two of them are walking home. They live in a village outside of Jerusalem called Emmaus. It's several miles outside of Jerusalem, and they're walking home, and they're trying to figure this out. They are conversing with one another on the road, and they're trying to sort it out. Well, what does this mean? I mean, the, the ladies say that he arose, but no, I mean, how can that be? That doesn't just happen, and they're trying to piece it all together. And as they're walking along the road, they come upon a third man, a third traveler who's going the same direction. He joins them in the journey, and he begins to inquire what they're talking about. They begin to converse further about it, and he has some insight that they weren't expecting And he begins to to talk to them, and they get to Emmaus, and he is going to go on. And they say, no, 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 dude, we're not done with this conversation. Have dinner with us. 
And so they pull him aside and, and they sit down for dinner and he expands their understanding. He's connecting the dots with them, as it were, in Scripture. And all of a sudden, and the Bible doesn't tell us what, doesn't tell us how, just that, all of a sudden they recognize this is the risen Lord. And there's a pattern there. You know, the resurrected Jesus could be recognized or not be recognized. This isn't the only time. Mary didn't recognize him either in the garden. But we see kind of a pattern there. And all of a sudden, they recognize it's Jesus, and he's gone. And and excitedly, they jump up, and they, they run the several miles back into Jerusalem. And as they're running, they're having this conversation, we're not our hearts burning. There was that about Jesus. There is that about eternal life. There is that about Christianity that's different from everything else that ignites something within us. Were, Were we not compelled? Were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? So they get back to Jerusalem. They go back to the upper room where the disciples are sitting around trying to figure out what the heck just happened. And they're telling him, we saw the Lord. He was there. He was on the road. We had dinner with him. And all of a sudden, Jesus, it says, is in their midst. He just appears. He just materializes in the room. And once they're certain that it's Jesus, it says in Luke 24, 45, that, again, that he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. One of the ways in our time, one of the the loudest ways that God speaks to us in our time and in our life is through the scriptures. One of the most powerful and prevalent ways to hear God speak is through the scriptures. And we need to be very careful because here in the United States in particular, in Western Christianity, we tend to be somewhat dismissive of that. Because we are so familiar, because we've been around it and had the exposures, it's almost as if we've become inoculated to the punch of the Word of God when we see it and when we read it. And we have to be very careful to activate our hearts and our minds to tune into that and not take it for granted. Listen, beloved, I hope you understand that what you have here today is very precious. What you enjoy in this room, as far as the freedom to gather to do that, as far as as the richness of being exposed to the worship and the word of God in this setting, is incredibly precious. Don't take it for granted. God speaks to us through the scriptures. We're told that 9 out of 10 Americans own at least one Bible one English Bible, 81%, the last statement I heard, or I just heard it this week, 81% of Americans say they believe in God. Now, they don't define what that means, but they say they believe in God. 80% consider themselves Christian. 79% believe that the human soul is eternal. And yet, almost 60% of American adults reject the concept, the existence, the idea that Satan is a real person. Or 51% believe that praying to a deceased saint will somehow positively affect their lives. 42% believe that Jesus committed sins while he was on the earth. 
50% believe that people who are generally good will earn a place in heaven when they die. Another 44%, almost half of us believe that the Christian Bible, the Islamic Quran, and the Book of Mormon are essentially all expressions of the same theological truth. And 54% believe that truth can only be discovered by logic, reasoning, or experience. My question is, what the heck happened? If we are people of the Bible who have the Bible with that kind of frequency and that kind of exposure, where did some of these anti-biblical sentiments and ideas come from? Well, the only thing I can think of is this. We drank the Kool-Aid, y'all. Culturally, we drank the proverbial Kool-Aid. And so the message this morning really is a reminder and a call back to, listen, you want to hear God speak? Stop looking around and start looking into your scriptures. Did you know that when God speaks, he speaks as we hear the Bible Read. One of the reasons I use so much scripture on screens and from my mouth as we talk and teach here at the Heights is so you will hear the Bible in your ears. That's not coincidence. And for some of us, that's the only time you get to hear it during the week. At least you're hearing it. God speaks as we read the Bible. As we expose ourselves to the scripture and we constantly remind and encourage you, hey, be in your scriptures, have your quiet times, read every day. God speaks as we study the Bible and God speaks as we think about or meditate, which is really where we're going to land this morning as we think about the Bible. Over in Psalm 119, which we're going to be in a lot this morning, the psalmist prayed this openly. He said, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. That's biblical meditation. And so let me define the term. Meditation, as the Bible defines it, is not like maybe you think about it culturally. Meditation really is just this. It is thinking the thoughts of God. As you read the thoughts of God, it's thinking those through. One of my friends says it's the concept of absorbing or marinating in the Word of God. Now, listen, we're all good Texans here. Pete told us last week, if you're a good Texan, you eat beef, right? You eat steak. Well, a lot of you guys, when you prep your steak, you either put a rub on it or you marinate it in something. You know, I watched Joanna Gaines yesterday marinate steak and soy sauce. I was like, what the heck? And then she put salt on top of that. And I was like, could you not find enough salt in the soy sauce, jo- soy-, soy sauce, Joanna? You know, but we marinate. The idea is you let it soak. You let it absorb the salt and the, and the elements in there so that it flavors the meat as you grill it or cook it or smoke it or however that we're going to prepare it. And, and the concept here is absorbing or marinating in the words... Of God, thinking the thoughts of God. Let me just show you that this is not a new concept, neither is uh, it a recent concept. It's actually an ancient concept. Over in Genesis, Isaac, the son of Abraham, it says that he went out to meditate in the field toward evening. Now, let me explain what's going on here. 
Isaac is meditating on the promises of God and the word of God, what God has said. Understand at the time of Abraham and Isaac, they didn't have a written Bible yet. They had, though, the word of the Lord. And what we have in our book of Genesis is what the Lord said to them. Well, God had promised Abraham that you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to be a great people, as many as the stars in the sky, the sands on the seashore, that kind of thing. Isaac's looking around going, I'm the only son my father had. I'm the the child of the promise, and I can't even find a wife. And yet God has said this. He's he's re-promised this to me, too. How, how, How do I do this? He's thinking what God has said. And as he's meditating, he lifts his eyes and it says, and behold, he looked and camels were coming. You say, how is that an answer to the prayer? Because on the camels was his wife, Rebecca, that God had brought to him. He's meditating on the word of God as God is communicating his truth to him and he begins to see the plan of God unfold. Over in Psalm 119, David, who wrote that psalm, said this, Nothing is perfect except your words. Think about all the voices in your world, the political pundits, the educational experts, all the people who attempt to tell us, the the medical experts, all of those guys who are trying to tell us, this is true, this is true, this is true. The only truth, David said, this is a thousand years before Christ. Nothing is perfect except your words. And I love them. And I think about them. That's meditation. I'm considering what you said all the day long. Over in Psalm 4, the psalmist says, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. Then he says, The Lord hears when I call him. And then he says, Tremble and don't sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Think through the word of God as it applies to your day. Psalm 119, 48, my hands also I will lift to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 78, may the arrogant be put to shame for wronging me without cause, but I will meditate on your precepts. You say, what does that have to do with the message? You want to know how to respond to negative situations in life, to volatile people and bad things that happen around you? Think through the word of God and how it tells you to respond to those. That's what he's saying. And so I meditate on your precepts rather than just responding. Now the question is, okay, how is Christian meditation different than cultural meditation? Some other equivalent to that. Well, the first thing is this. Cultural meditation most of the time will tell you to empty your mind, to empty your thoughts, to clear your mind. Put yourself in the right kind of place. Scripture says, no, you fill your minds with God's thoughts. Over in Colossians 3, the New Testament, Paul wrote, listen, let heaven fill your thoughts. Remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about that kind of force out principle? As you put something into a a place, something else gets forced out of it. Fill your your mind with the thoughts of God. Secondly, Biblical meditation directs us to actively engage God and His Word, to do something about what you read, rather than being passive and just hope that something will happen as a result of it. It's the process of engagement. The third thing is that instead of visualizing our reality, God wants us to find His perspective. God, how do you look at this situation? 
So all of these are questions that we ask God in the process of engaging Him in His Word. Now, here's what the Scripture says. When we think the thoughts of God, you will have God's success. Now, let me define God's success just so we're clear on that this morning. God's success would simply be this. It would be living and doing the will of God. And to help us get there, let's look at a very famous passage of text in Romans chapter 12. New Testament. You've probably heard this from NIV, King James, New King James, NAS. I'm going to read it to you in NLT this morning. It says the same thing. It's a little bit more modern in its presentation. It says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do. You will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. When we think the thoughts of God, we'll be able to live and do the will of God. Then you will know what the will of God is, that which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So several scriptures to walk you through this. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, Joshua says this. It's all about thinking the thoughts of God. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Joshua tells us then that if we think the thoughts of God, if we're meditating, if we're ruminating or marinating on the Word of God, that God will speak to us and we will know how to follow the path in which God is leading us. Another scripture that comes to play here is the one we've already looked at in Psalm 4. Psalm 4, 4. He says, be angry or tremble in some translations and do not sin. Meditate within your heart and on your bed and be still. You want to know how to cope with a tough situation. A tough spouse, a bad parent, a kid problem, problems at work, a difficult neighbor, problems with somebody that you run into. How do I deal with that? It says, listen, if you will think through the way God has directed you to respond, you'll have a coping mechanism for that. For those kind of volatile kind of situations. Here's another one. Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, one of my favorites. It says, they delight in doing everything the Lord wants, and day and night they think... The thoughts of God. They think about his law. And as a result, they are like trees planted along a riverbank. They bear fruit each season without fail. Their leaves never wither. And in all they do, they prosper. Four things hearing God through his word does for us. First of all, it gives us stability. Folks, if you listen to the political pundits that are on TV this morning, if you record that kind of stuff and watch it and listen to it, or you listen to it through the week on the radio or watch it on your televisions, you're going to be pretty discouraged because you just got people fighting both sides of this thing with loud arguments, right? How do we deal with all of that? Listen, have you read the scripture 
Do you understand the end? Do you know how this world finishes? The world is not done in by climate change. I'm not saying that's not important. I'm saying that's not the end. The world is not done in by politics. By the way, some of you guys, do you understand the United States of America doesn't play in the end of the world? You don't see us in the scripture. I don't know what that means, but we are not the savior of the world. We're not the end of the world. There's something greater and further beyond all of that. You know that because you read the scripture. So how do we deal with all of that? If you understand what God has said as he's laid it all out, it first of all brings you stability because these scary things that are being said don't put you to flight. They don't make you run. They don't make you flee into the darkness. You've read the end of the book, so you know how it all winds up. Not only that, he says, listen, you think the thoughts of God, it brings you fruitfulness. That, that's productivity that counts. There's a lot of stuff going on out there, but stuff that really matters and counts, that begins to come out of your life. That begins to be produced in your character. It also gives you perseverance. Your leaves never wither, even in difficult seasons, in tough times in life. You have something real that is nourishing you and keeping you alive. You don't despair. You don't fall into that kind of, oh my goodness, the sky is falling. There is no hope. That's the world. The scripture speaks something different. And ultimately, you are able to live and do the will of God. All of that from marinating in God's message to you, hearing the Lord speak there. Psalm 119, 98, your commands give me an edge on my enemies. How about that one? They never become obsolete. How about that one? Biblical truth is true no matter what time and place that it is expressed. It's not just first century or 1,000 B.C. It's now. And I've become smarter than my teachers. That's not devaluing education or educators or, or any of that stuff. That's just saying, listen, ultimate wisdom is found with God. Ultimate insight comes from the Lord. Ask Him. Hear Him. Let His words speak to that. Peter Lord, my friend, said this. He said, religion is nothing more than man responding to the God he knows or at least thinks he knows. If you have a wrong God concept, you're going to have a wrong response. Man, that just described the world we live in. An inadequate concept of God brings an inadequate response and hence an inadequate religion. If you don't want to fall into those inadequacies, Go to the word of the Lord. Psalm 104 says, May my meditation be as sweet to him. For me, I will rejoice in the Lord. Let that be your prayer and let that prompt you through the week. So how does all this work, Mike? Well, you've given me a lot of, of kind of theory. You've given me a lot of stuff to fill my mind. How does all of this work? It's really very simple when, when you hit the bricks with it. All right? Number one. You're reading your Bible, or you're listening to somebody speak, 
or you're, you're uh, watching something on YouTube, some pastor on YouTube, and, and the scripture comes up, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit gives you one of those tugs. Wait a minute. Hang on just a second. What, what, is, what is that? You ever do that? The Holy Spirit just tweaks you all of a sudden. And it may be on a whole passage. It may be a story. It may be a chapter. It may be a verse or part of a verse. It may be something you've read a hundred times. And all of a sudden you go, I don't, have, I, have I ever heard that before? I had that a couple of times this week in my quiet time. Whoa, what was that? Or he'll connect you with, hey, you know that thought over here? Th- these two things are related. But the Holy Spirit prompts you. He brings that passage to your attention. So what do you do with that? Do you say, oh, that's cool and move on? No. You stop. And you say, okay, Lord, wait a minute. What did I just read? What did I just hear? Did, did I get that right? You ask God about it. As you're starting off where you can't, I would do that openly physically. I would mouth that and articulate that outwardly. Wait a minute, Lord. Did, did, I, did I just hear that right? What, what was that? Help me, help me make sure I got that. And then you might go back and reread it, repeat it with varying emphases. You might read it one word at a time, emphasizing a separate word every time you read it. You might read it in a different translation. Man, I, I'm okay, I'm reading in the NIV for my quiet time. You know what? What does NAS say about this? Wait a minute. What does NLT? What does King James say about this? What does New King James say about this? Look at a paraphrase of what it does with it. And then here's the key thing. When you think you've got it, write it out or say it out in your own words. By the way, if you haven't noticed, I do that a lot when I'm teaching you guys. We'll go through a scripture and I'll say what he's saying in essence is, that's a paraphrase. Right? Rewrite it in your own words. Then the next step would be to think through, okay, what is my application? What is this telling me to do? Is this telling me to persevere? Is this telling me to take heart? Is this telling me not to, to lose my steam here? Is this telling me to go talk to somebody? Is this telling me to do this, to change something, to rid myself of a sin that's, that's kind of hanging on to me? Is it, is it some, what is the application of this passage for me? And then ask God. And this is the hardest part of the whole process for most of us. Shut up and listen. That's uncomfortable. And you've got to discipline your mind to be hearing, to be listening. Not just let your mind begin to wonder or fall asleep or whatever it is that we often do. Once God has spoken to that, record it. I do most of mine in the margins of my Bible. I highlight and mark and cross-reference and all that kind of stuff. Some of you guys are really good at journaling. I'm a terrible journaler. But I'll never go back and look at my journal. So I I do it in my Bible because I'll see that at least once or twice a year. So somehow record it. Write it down, not just say it. Write it down, even if you don't keep it. If you tape it to your mirror and keep it for a month and toss it, that's okay. By then, you probably got it. And then, pray it back to God. God, here's what I hear you saying. Let the Holy Spirit affirm that in you. Let the Holy Spirit change it, tweak it, direct it somehow. If you do that, you'll be able to hear and respond. The Word of God will become so active 
in your life that you're going to get to a place you go, man, I don't even recognize the guy I was six months ago. Really interesting. I was talking to one of our men this week. I just love what the Lord's done in his life. He had never read the Bible until this year. And we were talking about somebody else that's kind of struggling to come to know the Lord. And he said, man, my advice is tell him to read the Bible. Just read it. He said, I never thought it would make the kind of difference that it made in me. But it does. Because there's a lot there. So here's what I want to do. I want to take just the next couple of minutes. And I want us to do that. I'm going to take us to that familiar passage of text we just read out of Romans chapter 12. And so if you have your phones or your hard copy Bibles or whatever it is, I'm going to leave it up here on the screen for a minute. But I want you guys in this room, we're going to have a practice. Okay, we're going to, have a, we're going to scrimmage with ourselves. But I want you to find that. And I want you to do those things that we just said. In case you don't know what those are, let me back up and give them to you again. As you read it, as you ruminate through it, pray over it, repeat it, paraphrase it. Oop, wrong way. Think through the application. Take time to listen to God. Make a record of what he said, and then pray it back. All of you guys in there, some of you guys are going to go, oh, man, that, that exercise did me no good whatsoever. Okay, so what? Some of you guys are going to say, this is revolutionary to me. Here's the passage. What, what does it mean? Let me give you some prompts. What does it mean to give your body to God? What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? You know, in the Bible and in most religions, sacrifices were killed. Blood was shed. They were slaughtered and then burnt. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Present your body to God. See, these are the questions we ask. And then, am I copying the attitudes and behaviors of this world? Has culture infiltrated me? Man, I used to be on fire for the Lord, and now I'm kind of ambivalent. What happened? Or I feel distant from God. Where, where is that closeness? How, how do I think like God? And where am I lacking in thinking of the thoughts of God? How, how am I not letting my mind be transformed in my thinking? Lord, help me to know what is good and pleasing and perfect. I haven't really given you enough time. Maybe you need to go home and do that. Maybe you need to say, you know what, I'm going to try that. I promise you, if you marinate in the Word of God, He will speak to you and change the way you think about many things. But you've got to talk to Him about that. Let's pray. Say, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truth of the Scripture. We thank you that you have made it available to us like no people in history, like no people in the world have ever enjoyed its availability. And yet, Lord, we take it for granted or we ignore it or we let other voices speak louder. Lord, I pray that we would be the people of the word, people of the Bible. Father, I pray that we would not be putting down our Bibles, but in these days especially, we would be taking them up, that they would become, your words would become the things that direct 
and form our philosophy, our worldview. Father, we would do that unapologetically because we know that our world, even sometimes people who claim to be of the faith, will try to denigrate that, will try to dismiss that. Lord, I pray we would be strong in that in these days. But there are some in this room, like Ali prayed a minute ago, who may not know you as Savior. Lord, I pray that they've heard today that God is here, that God is true, that God sent his son to die for their sins. And the truth is that we're sinners and we need a Savior. And so we need to turn from our sin to embrace Christ and what he did on the cross as sufficient and complete and yield our will to you and say, okay, you're my Savior. Save me and make me different. And then, Father, we would walk forward in that. Father, I pray you would put within us a fire for your word. You would put within us a longing, a thirst, a hunger that is insatiable until we go to it. And then your spirit would take it and expand it in us. And Father, this church would be different having been exposed to your word. Walk us through how to be your people as living sacrifice with minds transformed by your word that we may do what is perfect and pleasing to you. In your name we ask, amen. Well, thank you for being a part of what God's doing here at the Heights Fellowship. If the Lord led you to make a decision or you have a question or a need, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at the email listed below, info at theheightsfellowship.org. And we will join you in praying as you take a step forward on your journey with God.